Welcome to The Burnout Show, a weekly conversation with special guests who generously share their burnout stories with us. We also chat with health and wellness experts on how to best navigate burnout when you're in the thick of it, as well as how to avoid it returning. And now here's your host, Jess Jones. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Burnout Show. Today's very special guest is Dr. Frank Chow. Frank, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for having me. Can you share a little bit about what you do now and what got you into this kind of work? So I'm a psychiatrist in Sydney and uh, I've been uh, practising for over a decade now. And over the years, um, I got really interested and uh, passionate about helping individuals who is struggling along the path of the career and the working life. And it's quite interesting within the person career life, there's a lot of different milestone and different time frame that they will have trouble with. My role is to help them navigate those different milestones and, and to go through the next stage and to try to achieve what they aim to achieve. Cause, cause often there's a lot of uh, mindset, there's a lot of behavior, there's a lot of things that in their life that are holding them back and and often affecting their mental state and, and psychological symptoms. And mm. my way is to, you know, use biological but also psychological strategy to help them uh, navigate through that period and achieve the next next goal and next uh, stage in life. Mm. Yeah. Right. So what made you want to become a psychiatrist? What had you interested in this line of work? Yeah. So, I mean, it's. I think everyone's gone through a medical training, going through a very interesting career choice um, mm. decision-making. Obviously, it comes with a lot of different uh, reasons, including um, uh, training pathway, time frame, uh, job availability, and, and so forth. But at the end of the day, for me, I realize, you know, obviously helping others is one, mm. but also having a better understanding. And from young, from young, I, I have an inkling of trying to understand human being in a biological level yeah, as well as a psychological level. Now, and I think after the uh, I've learned all the biological level stuff, mm-hmm. it, it become even more intriguing for me to learn more about the psychological level of individual mm-hmm. and, and what clicks, what make people sustain, what people make people able to push on things, why certain people cope better than the others, you know, what is the difference between two individuals, why someone can do more and the other than the others. Mm. And and why what certain you know situation affect one person more than the other. So so it kind of struck me in my early career that this might be the area that I want to go into to understand the psychology of the individual or patients or people a lot more. And that's how I got into mental health and psychiatry and. Because mm. you get to get to you get to learn how the biological bodies affect the thinking and the behavior, but then you get to understand the psychological pathway or or, or thinking how it affects the individual mm. on a biological level, uh, behavioral level, um, as well. 
So it's quite an interesting career so far. <laughs> mm, I bet it would be. I'd imagine you'd have some regular sort of things that people come to you with, you know, relationships, um, business, uh, yeah. career, trying to find a sense of self or something that fulfills them. But do you have, is there something that is more often than not people's biggest wish or want for change in their life? Yeah, I guess uh, what you mentioned there, usually like in the early early stage career people are usually a bit more confused and looking for identity looking for you know things things that they want to do and and they get a bit confused in that early age which is which is understandable you know mm. you you're trying to understand your identity and and what clicks for you and what you like and what you don't like and then you know the middle age you know mid 30s mid 40s usually uh, individual who have quite a lot of commitment and mm. they started to, you know, not coping and 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 looking for for ways to to improve their situation and how to manage things. Mm. Um, they, then you have the fifty five to sixty five individual who, you know, coming to terms with children leaving and then it's time for them to to work on themselves and focus on themselves. But then they have they have kind of supported family and focus on other people for so long. They're not quite sure what to do then, and so there's yeah. often a sense of emptiness at the end yeah. there. Now, the most common thing I've seen is a lot of people usually come when they hit, they really when when symptomatology hit the wall or very mm. kind of more severe. You know, yeah. they, they usually don't come and see a psychologist or psychiatrist until there's a crisis. Yes, because they call it crisis induced change. And you don't change until there's a crisis in life. And so this sense of avoidance, uh, that something's not quite right, but never mind, I just kick the can down the road. I don't need to mm. fix anything. I don't need to do anything. And, and I wait until, you know, maybe my spouse yell at me or my boss, you know, pull me out for performance or, you know, I'm behaving atypically in a workplace or yeah. I'm starting to be ha- act differently, then people would start to tell, oh, you need to seek help, then people go and do that. But in yeah. fact, I would probably say about 10%, very rare. I mean, not not common that people actually proactively come and talk and seek clarity and try to work through what is the symptoms, symptomatology mean for them and, uh, and try to work through that earlier to prevent things. But, you know, I think the society uh, expectation of mental health is a bit changing lately or last mm-hmm. couple of years. So we're going to see a bit of a change that people are a, bit, a little bit more proactive, workplace a bit more encouraging for people to seek support, family a little bit more encouraging people to do that as well. And the society and peers are more receptive to people reaching out and speak up about their difficulties. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There is change and it is slow, but it is progress nonetheless. And I I do find it interesting that we as human beings wait, like you said, until the crisis, you know, you've hit rock bottom, something bad's happened, Um, you know, we've uh, gone through grief or loss of a loved one or we've had a relationship breakup or, you know, lost our job. And that's when people think, oh, I need to do something here. I need to be proactive rather than coming at it from a sense of, you know, prevention and management, yeah, mm. rather than waiting for the big thing to happen to, yeah. to cause that change. The whole process does have its own cycle. Mm. 
and a lot of the time, you know, people have different struggle throughout the cycle. Some people are just too impatient and they want to get better too quickly. Yeah. Some people are just not prepared to, to engage until they're really at the rock, rock bottom before they, mm-hmm. they induce change. So, look, you know, we're not miracle healers and we know that everyone has their own time frame to work through mm-hmm. and it's about, you know, navigating them through that cycle and and which stage they're at and how to continue the progress through the cycle before they hit the recovery button. Mm. You know, it's uh, it's interesting to see because everyone's get a bit very lost as they go through the cycle of getting worse, hit the rock bottom, and then recover. And each path have its own struggle and 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 uh, barriers to get through. So mm. it's a uh, it's an interesting and but difficult time to navigate, uh, yeah. especially if individual haven't been exposed or haven't talked about it or haven't learned about it or or seen people go through it. Like, I mean, how often do you see people burn out or, you know, and actually observe their whole whole picture of, you know, slowly deteriorating and gradually hit the rock bottom and then recover? They're usually at home. They're not at work, so you don't exactly. see that. Yeah. So you don't see how other people get through it and you think, you know, you only see the glimpse of, oh, they deteriorate, oh, they come back good, so you've never seen the, the in the middle struggle. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm. So I'd imagine in your line of work and for other, you know, people and peers in your industry that it would be quite difficult to be having to constantly hold space and time and patience and compassion for so many people. How yeah. do you manage yourself, your own energy and not get overwhelmed? Yeah, that's a very good question and I get asked all the time. How do you not get dragged by other people's problems? Mm. Right. And I guess I think up until this point, I have been able to maintain a supportive and empathic um, engagement by looking at the engagement as more a uh, a chem- academic study for me to understand individual and human being. And, and so it, it is my interest and my passion to learned different presentation mm-hmm. and it's, it's like my you know long t- long-term life journey of studying people <laughs> so yes. every case every scenario go into my my book where you know okay this is another presentation this is how people present mm-hmm. and this is how I should support them and I, I maintain a very neutral position that I am there to support them but I don't go into a, a very deep emotional attachment into their problems because otherwise how can I see the way out for them and guide them out of the problems? Mm. So I have to look at things very, in a way, very in a distance, but also but in a supportive and empathic manner. Yes. And provide, you know, not, not necessary advice, but, you know, help them, you know, give uh, a more neutral and unbiased kind of, you know, opinion to help them get through the situation mm-hmm. and how to navigate that confusion in their head. Yeah. 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 Is that something that you've been able to develop yourself or are you taught 
early on in your studies how to maintain that disconnect so still have the empathy the compassion the care mm. but not you know necessarily feel the feelings while you're doing it yeah I don't think we were taught and, and that's probably why some I mean I think to a degree is is something that we've been we've been told and we've been worn off, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you get burnt out, you get, you know, you get emotionally attached, then, you know, you better monitor your behaviour and all, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you don't know until you start seeing more patients and mm-hmm. and then you realise how you're impacted and affected by those uh, engagements. So I think throughout my early early life, there's a few different things that happened in life that helped me de- develop certain uh, mindset and certain perspective in life and and learn to kind of distance myself with situation and mm-hmm. and so that I can take a step back to look at the certain situation and try to analyze uh, what are the options and how to and weigh out the pros and cons and, and, and go through that. So I think uh, certain early child life experience has shaped me uh, into some early skill into managing that as well. Uh, and having said that, maybe I have to blame myself that I've, I was somebody who tried out too many different things <laughs> and failed too many times. <laughs> yeah. And the best way to learn though, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean it, that's the best way to learn mm. and that's the best way to develop a, a mindset and a skill to navigate through your your challenges and journey in the later life. Mm. And I think I would encourage people, I mean some people come to me at a young age and ask me, you know, how do I find my passion in life? What's mm. what what should I do in life? And and they keep chopping change and try to study this, try to study that. And I say, you know, do as many things as you want. Mm. And, and as you try more uh, and you persist in certain things, you will learn to know what you're good at, you know, what you're not good at, so your strengths and weaknesses, yeah. and what you enjoy. And then you can gather those informations and, and data from there and, and evaluate what you might want to do uh, in the next five, ten years, for example. Mm, so, yeah. so I think that's how I develop the ability to distance myself. And mm. uh, I'm a learning junkie. Someone told me. Yeah, yeah. So am I. Yeah. It's great, great place to be. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. some of those experiences that you went through early on in life did that also? Do you believe steer you into this kind of work? Well, yeah. I think, in a way, I have a lot of introspection practice early on, mm. and I did a lot of reflection in my early life as well, and and therefore it intrigued me why, how other people, certain people achieve more than the others, mm-hmm. and why, how do people navigate through the sense of failure or you know things are not working out for them, and how do they um, turn you know crisis into opportunity or risk into opportunity as well and and what are the interim mindset they need to get through Mm. so in a way I think that's really strike my interest into in terms of understanding people and and on one hand I got to learn the differences and why one might maintain better than the others Mm. on the other hand I can learn I can use the learn skill 
or learn knowledge throughout the you know the last couple decade to to people that had never think about those things and never you know reflect on those things and and hear about those heard about those things for example so so it's quite an interesting journey so far yeah definitely and obviously so much more to learn along the way which is wonderful yeah every stage in life have different struggle i think and and you you know people i you know, people always say, you know, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me, you know, but, you know, it's not until you hit, hit that stage in life, then you realise you're not that special. You're yeah. just another person that is more likely to, is vulnerable and more likely to mm. be hit hard just like anybody. Yeah. So, you know, it's quite quite common. Like, you know, I hear younger people or, you know, people in their mid-30s say, you know, it's not going to happen to me. It's not me. Mm. But then, in a couple of years' time, you know, I I see them struggling, and and we have to talk about things that they don't want to hear a couple of years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, Frank, what does your own downtime look like? How do you relax? How do you have fun? Yeah. So, I mean, like I say, I'm a learning junkie, and it's quite interesting. That's a, a realization. I didn't think I was. <laughs> I didn't think I was, and but it's more that over the last uh, decade that, that I realized that I really get stimulated by learning new knowledges, and mm. so you know, my downtime is not really a downtime, really. I think my downtime is on on one hand, obviously, I need to have you know spend some time of maintaining on my well being. You know, you know, physically and psychologically. You know, if I mm. if I get the time, I do go for a walk in the park next. You know, and combining by taking my son to the park. Yeah. You know, so a lot of a lot of the thing is about juggling commitment in life, isn't it? So yeah. You know, how do you combine a few things together? So you yeah. know, taking my son to the park. You know, seeing him running around, enjoying activities. You know that's uh, that's that's enjoyable to to watch. Mm. You know, going for a walk with your family if I can. You know, spending the time with my family, and because it's kind of really getting touch to my roots. Yeah. And, and the reason you're 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 working hard or you're trying to do what you're trying to do. And the other thing is engaging courses and and learning and speaking with interesting people like yourself to stimulate the, the thinking, the brain, yeah. the interest. And and that's kind of my downtime. And I know everyone's have different way of managing the downtime. That some people they need if they're very raising or they're very active and they're very uh, energetic, they need, you know, downtime like, you know, meal seek or they need to meditate. They need to do all that. But Mm-hmm. In my line of work, you can sense that I talk very slowly, right? So I'm a, I'm kind of a slow thinker. I sit a lot in my day job. So a lot of my downtime are more energetic kind of activities, mm-hmm. yeah. which is a little bit different. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's everyone's have a different way of managing their downtime and well-being. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We all need different things, so... Yeah. The other circumstances that I have my downtime, obviously I have to have time 
by myself mm. because how of how busy life can be, especially in Sydney. So, you know, when I'm in a car, you tend to do a lot more reflection in in a car when you're driving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you're not supposed to, but yeah, you know, some, sometimes <laughs> because when you do tasks that's automatic that you don't need to think about any more. That's mm-hmm. when you have a lot more time to reflect. So, yeah. you know, people tend to reflect when they're driving or when they're having a shower. Shower, yeah. And you know, I, when I sit on the plane, um, yeah. I I can have my downtime. And sometimes I I read a book, but sometimes I just you know you know kind of close my eyes and meditate or mm. or you know do some reflections. And I really enjoy having lunch by myself. <laughs> yes, yeah. A nice little time out for you, especially from a, yeah. a busy day. Yeah, exactly. You know, enjoy that. You know, chicken rice or laksa of your yeah. own. Yeah, yeah, lovely. At, you know, look at the texture of the food and and yeah. things like that. Is uh, is I think those are my downtime. Yeah, yeah. How I manage it. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. So, what's something that you've done that you're most proud of? I mean, there uh, there have been a lot of achievement, and I think uh, reflecting on that. The fact that uh, I'm now able to do what I do, mm. where I am doing something I really, and interestingly, I didn't think this is something I really enjoy. You know, like I, people tell me, like, how did you know you would like what you do? Like, in a way, you you wouldn't know. Mm. You wouldn't know until you mean you attend mastery of what you do. Yes. And what you do is of value of others, then that's something you would enjoy doing and you have passion mm-hmm. in. Now, yeah. and and you don't if you don't spend the time to gain mastery, you'll never be good at it, and you never never you will not be valuable by like you know your, what you do will not be valuable, and therefore you will not feel feel good about what you do. So, so a lot of the time people ask me like, how do you find things that you passionate about, you know, and and sometimes it's about spending time to master to gain mastery of what you do. Yes. So I think, you know, what I'm really proud of is I think I'm doing something I'm fairly good at and it's of value of others. Mm-hmm. And I can, you know, of of service to others as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that bring me bring me satisfaction and joy. And uh and it is a mean for me to provide security and uh, peace for my family as well, <laughs> you know, mm, in yeah. terms of having a, a role and a job um, and opportunity, I guess. And and the, the fact that I am able to spend the time with my family and, and have the family around me, um, I think, uh, you know, at the time of my life where I I can enjoy what I do. I can use my job uh, skill to help others and I can spend a lot of time with my family as well. So I think uh, the achievement in terms of getting myself to this stage is I'm really proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So finally, Frank, what's one piece of advice you'd share with someone who's listening today who might be nearing burnout themselves or noticing some symptoms and perhaps ignoring them? Yeah, so if I can, I mean, obviously there's there's a lot I can talk about that. Um, 
I think it's important to recognize that, uh, you know, symptoms of burnout is quite common when you have a lot of competing commitment. Mm. And, but, you know, sometimes when we are overly busy, it doesn't mean we're productive and we're achieving what we want to achieve in life. And so, you know, therefore, you know, we sometimes get very, you start to experience symptoms because we are, we start to become confused about the things we're doing is is meaningful or is is productive and, mm-hmm. and therefore getting the clarity of the goals and the progress is very important. The other important thing is to recognize the more capable you are, the more likely you'll get burnout. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is really important. Like people get really guilty and very put themselves down once they get burnt out, right? You know, but they forgot that they got burnt out because they are, people need them in the first place. Yes. So the more capable you are, the more likely you will get burnt out. And therefore it is really important that you learn to regulate and manage stress and demand in life before that stage. Mm. and be aware of your psychological, biological changes. And sometimes, you know, it might be an ache, you know, here and there that, you know, it could be, you know, your neck, it could be your shoulder, it could be your elbow, it could be your knee or your hip. That is the early warning sign that something is not quite quite right or it could be that inkling of feeling lethargic or, or feeling, you know, not so enthusiastic about things. And not as passionate with things anymore. That is a sign of that you are not in tune with what you're doing, and things mm. that you're doing are not really progressing as you would like, or hitting your milestone and goals. Yeah. And therefore, you know, one of one of the things I want to share is, you know, after I have my son, you know, a lot of perspective in life has changed. Mm. And even worse with the pandemic, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, all the perspective in life has changed and, and leads to a lot of confusion and a lot of thinking that you need to do and think about what does it mean that why are you turning up to work every day, mm. doing the things that you're asked to do? What does that mean for you and what you're trying to achieve? So talk to people who've been through it and learn their perspective, you know, learn ways to regulate and to talk through and gain clarity and to to adjust the workload, to adjust, to make changes in environments, situations. Don't wait until you burn out mm. or get burned before you take action. So that's yeah. my biggest piece of advice there. Yeah, wonderful. Dr. Frank Chow, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, it's been fun and uh, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. If you're suffering from burnout or want some tips on how to avoid it, join our Facebook group, The Burnout Club Community. If you've gotten something out of today's episode, we'd love your review. Simply click the link in the show notes to share your thoughts. Until next time, go gently.